Well, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my name is Joe Sangal. Who's fired up to be at church this morning? Yes! It's awesome, half of us. The other half didn't get coffee, so it's going to be very special. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. It was so great to see so many of you yesterday here to, for the financial freedom experience. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about this video that I just watched. And, you know, I, I get to coach a lot of people every year. And that is, that is not far from where it's at. Um, here's what I know. Uh, even for the Sanders, there's hope. Do you believe that? Does it require some mindset shifts? Yes. But we're going to talk about that today. I'm so excited to be able to talk about this topic of money. Uh, in fact, uh, I have this, this thing in my backyard. I live in South Carolina. Who's been to South Carolina before? Anybody? It's awesome. And uh, if you've not been there, you should come visit us. We have three fantastic beaches. Actually, four, I would call it. We have Myrtle Beach. Then we have Kiowa Island, which is awesome. And then we have Charleston, which is a great city to visit. And then we have Hilton Head. I live as far as you possibly can from those beaches and still be in the state of South Carolina. So I live all the way near Georgia and North Carolina. Uh, but, you know, in my backyard, I have 11 acres where I live. It's mostly pasture, which we put up in hay every year for the cattle the farmer has next door. But on about two-thirds of the way back, I have a big, giant oak tree. This oak tree has to be at least 100 years old. You can see it here on the left. It, the picture kind of makes it not as much as you think it is. I mean, it's at least 36 inches in diameter. I mean, it is very large. Okay, this is a red oak tree. And right at the base here, I don't know if you can really see it, it's covered in this beautiful thing called poison ivy. Isn't that awesome? That, that is a little tree there to the right of it, totally covered in poison ivy. And that tree chose an unfortunate spot to sprout. It sprouted right in the roots, right next to the red oak. And uh, it's trying to prosper, but it's barely living. But it has extended a limb. I took a picture of it. It's a white oak. This is its limb. This limb is over 35 feet long, where it's extended out to try to get some sunlight so that photosynthesis can take place. And it's actually blooming right now so it can produce acorns. Now, I don't know if you know this about oaks. This is a little known fact, but I want to make sure you know this. Very important. Red oaks bloom one year and the acorn is produced the next year. White oaks bloom and produce the acorn in the same year. Isn't that neat? That's a neat fact. Botany class. Very exciting. Anyhow, that tree is trying to prosper. It's trying to thrive. But because of its position, it's very challenging for it. And so today in this series that we're calling Thrive, I wanted to talk about this word thrive and look at some definitions and uh, see, what, see if this describes your current state financially. We look at the word thrive in dictionary.com. It says it's a verb, so it's something that's actively happening. And it's a verb to prosper, be fortunate, or successful. Isn't that awesome? Those are some good words. Does that describe your financial journey? A lot of people staring. Let's look at another definition. It continued, and it said to grow or develop vigorously to flourish. Isn't that exciting? Does that describe your financial journey? And I looked at some synonyms. I went to the thesaurus and uh, saw some synonyms for thrive. And it said to bloom, to blossom, to boom. I like that word. Develop, flourish, grow, prosper, and succeed. 
And so the real two questions that I wanted to bring right here at the start of the message is, does this describe your life? And as a subset of that, does this describe your financial journey? And how many of you would like this to describe your financial journey and to describe your life? I think we would all agree that if given the choice of thriving or not thriving, we'd all choose thriving. If that's true, say yes. Awesome. And so today we're going to work on this. In fact, many people have this life verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to help you scrape by. Is that what it says? What does it say? Help me. Plans to prosper you. It's one of those words that lines up with thrive and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I love how John wrote it to Gaius in the letter that we know in the New Testament as 3 John. In chapter 1 verse 2 he said, Beloved, I pray that you may, what's that word? Prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And this is my prayer for each of you. That God does not intend anybody to just scrape by. In fact, I believe it's one of the top tools of the enemy is to keep us broke. Yesterday I shared this fact that no one here has ever went to the bookstore and bought the book How to Be Broke in Five Easy Steps. Have you ever wondered why that is? But you go to the bookstore and you look for books on personal finances, there's shelves filled with them, aren't there? Why? Because it turns out this is hard. That the easy thing to do is to give in to oneself and constantly say yes to the next thing. And you see something you didn't even know it existed and you see your friend has it and it bypasses wanting it straight to need. Have you ever done that? It's like I saw this thing that my brother had and it was covering fishing poles so that you won't snap off the ends. And I don't know if any of you, if you're fishermen, you know, you may have experienced what I have. But I've got like 20 fishing poles with snapped off ends. Is anybody ever, no one's ever done that. Okay, that's great. But I'm talented at breaking. And so I saw that he had these special polyester things that you can cover over it and it protects him. And I immediately had to have them. And Amazon allowed me to immediately spend money. It was only $7. So I felt like it was worthwhile. It's only $7. But we, we have this thing in life that constantly tries to drag us back down to zero. In fact, many people have worked 15, 20, 30 years of life, and they have worked hard. Has anybody here ever worked hard? Anybody ever here worked half days? You know, 12 hours a day? That type of half days? And, and yet you work 15, 20, 25 years, and you still have the same amount you started with. No thing. And, and that's a challenge. And so I really want to help us to be able to thrive. Is anybody here ready to thrive today? Three people are. This is awesome. I'm going to help you today. And this is a brand new message. I'm fired up about it. And I'm going to share with about four things. They are not in order of importance. They are all wildly important. The first one, number one, is the plan. Everybody say plan. Plan. you got to have a plan. Proverbs 21.5 is a verse that changed my financial journey. I read this verse and it said that the plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. And profit is this word that is, it's a synonym with thriving. That profit means excess, abundance, more than enough. And I said, well, that sounds good to me. It doesn't describe my financial journey right now, but I would like to have that. 
And I started exploring the verses, doing this thing called homiletics. I don't know if, I didn't know I was doing homiletics, but it's what I was doing. Homiletics is really looking at scripture closely and saying, what is it saying? What is it not saying? What is understood to be being said? Context. And it says that there are two things that yield profit. Do you see it? We see the verse there. It says you need a, what's the word? Plan. And then you've got to be diligent to follow the plan. Uh, who would admit here today that you've prepared a budget before and then did not follow it? Anybody admit that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got some friends here. And true or false, when you prepared that budget, you did it because you were frustrated with your financial situation. Yeah, and it's like, huh, that's it. We're going on a budget. You spent too much at the grocery store. I can't believe how much you spent on the kids. And let's not talk about my four-wheeler. And, and I can't believe how much you spent on Christmas. Right? Get in here. We're going on a budget. True or false, when you prepared that budget, you may or may not have lied to yourself. L listen, right now, I can't even get in the freezer. We're going to have mystery meat Mondays around here. You get $7 for groceries this month. We're emptying the pantry, and we're emptying the freezer. And but while we're at it, we're not going out to eat ever. Never again. Maybe in 2030. Right? And so you put together this budget, and, and, and it's not realistic. And it, therefore, it fails. So you can't be diligent with it. And so what I found is that it's so important to have the second thing. Proverbs 15, 22 says that plans fail for lack of what? Counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. And what I found is that left to my own devices, I'm going to give in to me. I mean, saying no to myself is real hard. I do not like to say no to myself. I, it's hard to say no to my little daughter, right? I can say no to my son, no problem, right? No, you want it, get a job. But that little girl of mine, she blinks her little eyes and it's over, right? It's hard. And I've, I'm told, grandparents, it's even harder with those grandbabies. Is this true? Right? You hold that grandbaby and say, how in the world did good looks and intelligence skip a generation? Straight from you to them and your wallet levitates out of your pocket or your purse. Can I get a witness? And so this challenge becomes, it's financial but it says that plans fail for lack of counsel. So my challenge to you is, do you have counsel in your life? Do you have wise counsel for your life and yes, for your finances? And the truth is, you probably have some already. You may not call it counsel, but if you have an insurance agent in your life, that's counsel. If you have an investment advisor, that's counsel. But I found for me, I also needed coaches who could speak into my holistic financial journey, but also loved Jesus, loved me, and weren't trying to sell me anything. And I could go to them and ask them questions and share with them my situation, what I'm facing, and I could trust that what they would share with me was Bible-based and God-honoring and would help me progress towards the dreams that God had placed in my heart. And so I'm encouraging you to have a plan with coaching. Jesus shared this in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, when Jesus said, suppose once of you, one of you wants to build a tower. In other words, you want to do something really great. It says, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money, do you see it, to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You know what I love here 
is that there's this, uh, Lucas shared today during worship about his brother's foundation. Hey, and his brother wanting to lay down as the ditch collapsed. Has anybody ever been there? Oh man, I can identify with that. And, and Jesus is here saying, hey, you lay the foundation and then you can't go any further. And so here's what I know. Everything in your life will directly or indirectly cost money. You, you want to you wanna start a family? That's a money decision. You want to be a stay-at-home parent? Money decision. You want to relocate? You want to go on vacation, buy a home, start a business, purchase a business, retire, pay for college? All of those have money implications. And what I found is that in my world of sports that I've participated in, a lot of coaches will share with us something called the seven P's. Has anybody ever heard of the seven P's? They say prior proper planning prevents pretty poor performance. They say it something like that. Sometimes they add other words in there. My coaches were very passionate. But I'm going to say it again. Prior proper planning prevents what? Pretty poor performance. And, and when you prepare a plan financially that aligns with the calling that God has placed in your life, it'll help you to thrive. In, in fact, it is what God shares in his word. It says in Proverbs 19, 21, that many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. As you seek God for his calling in your life, I think it's important that, that yes, seek the Lord, write down your plans, hopes, and dreams, but hold them with a loose enough grasp that the Lord could interfere, he could intervene and redirect your paths. Because here's what I've discovered. Sometimes we have dreams, sometimes God's getting us to a point where he's going to release another dream to you. And that's what happened in my life. You know, I was, I was climbing the corporate ladder. You know, my plan was to be a corporate executive. I completed my degree in mechanical engineering at one of the best engineering institutions in the world, Purdue University. Now, my degree said, and my GPA said I was not one of the best students. Um, on a 4.0 scale, I had a 2.64 GPA. Get fired up. Not, I didn't get a single A in any engineering classes. None. Be glad I'm not engineering anymore. Um, I did, my 2.64 was lifted up by my A in indoor flower arranging. No joke. There were 97 girls in the class and three guys. That's why I was there. But I got an A in that. And, and, and so, I, but I, I said, hey, I, I, somebody's got to make decisions in these big companies. I might as well be one of them. And so I went to Clemson University and got my master's in business. I went to leadership training with our company and graduated from that. And then I became a Six Sigma black belt and lean manufacturing. I was filling up my tool chest to become a leader. And I was put in charge of, of an $80 million part of our company. And I'm trying to lead this thing. And then all of a sudden... God kind of did this 90-degree relocation. You ever been there? And I'm like, what is going on? I've prepared for this. I've been pursuing what I feel like God has called me to do. Um, and I'm getting ready to make a lot of money. And then God says, hey, you know what? I've got you to this point so you can take your next step. Your next step is to go on the staff of this church you helped start. And, and guess what? You can take the step. Why? Because you've had coaching in your life, you've had a plan, you've been diligent, and you've rid your life of your debt. Therefore, I could take the 50% pay cut and still, what's the word? Thrive. 
You know, we don't like to hear that, right? We, we want to hear about the blessings that equal more for us. But can I just tell you as a person who, who jumped off the cliff once, I don't know how I did it. It was the Lord himself that helped me with counsel in my life. That when you take this crazy step of faith into whatever God's called you to do, it's an unbelievable ride. It's an unbelievable trip. But you can't, it's hard to do it, you know, even with coaches. So I'm encouraging, if you want to thrive, seek the Lord for his calling in your life and then have a financial plan, a budget that supports that. One that is realistic and spoken into by a multitude of counselors. You know, I had this clear financial plan and we, we in this plan, it allowed us to do the second thing I wanted to share with you that's important for thriving and that is to build margin. Everybody say margin. What is margin? It's space, right? Right when the teacher assigns you the writing assignment in school, do you remember that terrible day? You have to write a two-page writing assignment. It has to be handwritten. Do you remember that? And they tell you, don't write in big bubble letters. You have to use your normal handwriting, which isn't fair for those of us who write in four-point font because so, some of the girls in class wrote in these big bubble letters. They only had like a third of the words I had to write which I think was terribly unfair. I'm not bitter. I'm getting better. Anyhow, uh, so, and then what does the English teacher say to that teacher say to you as you're writing that? She gives some instructions, right? Who, what was your English teacher's name? Name it. Your literature teacher. Yeah, honor the teacher. Say their name. Yeah, Miss Ruby Nay was my teacher. She was so old that she knew Moses personally. I mean, she had been around a while. And so she didn't put up with anything, and she had no mercy on us, and she made me write this, Miss Mervinay, she had a cough that sounded like a car starting. So we would act like we were starting the car. It was awesome. She's still alive. I think she's 130. Um, my dad built her house. It was awesome. But, but here's what I know. Um, she would say, hey, be careful, all these instructions, don't write in the what? The margins. What is this margin on the paper? It's space, isn't it? In the same way, financial margin provides space in your life. Space for what? Foundation repairs. Leaky roofs. An appliance failure. Your young son going out and getting bored and saying, hey, watch this. <laughs> Life's going to happen, isn't it? Many of us here, in the last month have had an unforeseen expense because life's going to happen and does it care whether or not you have money saved for it no in fact i see i see that they seem to be attracted to times that you could least afford it and and you know you've got to build margin and margin takes effort but margin is important it says and solomon recognized it in ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 12 he said that wisdom is a shelter and he compares it to money as money is a shelter. But then he compares and contrasts and says the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. You know, in the Thrive Initiative here at Fort City, margin was an integral part of it. And, and so that the mission could continue to advance. And what I found is the same is true for your life's mission. That when you have margin, you can stay focused on the mission. You can absorb the challenges and instead of having a challenge, the broken car, the broken appliance, the broken child, whatever it is, you won't have the accompanying financial problem. You can just focus on the issue. 
And so let me be your coach for just a minute to get real practical how you can apply this in your life. The goal for the first step of margin is to establish one month's worth of expenses. One month's worth of expenses can protect you from most things that life could throw your way. It's enough to repair a furnace. It's enough to, to fix, you know, a broken appliance. It's enough to, for an emergency trip out of town. And ideally, long term, a minimum of three months worth of expenses. Now, are you putting all your trust in this money? No, but we recognize the, the wisdom, just as Jesus shared, you know, have money so you can have margin so you can build something from the foundation all the way up. So you can stay focused on your mission. In fact, with little or no margin, you will not prosper. But can I get a witness? You have to fight to build margin. Oh, isn't that frustrating? And, and, and yesterday in our class, somebody was sharing how what is terrible about building margin is that while you're building margin, like life still happens. You can't press the pause button. It just keeps happening. But here's what I found. The process, the refining process that goes into building margin, the refining process of sacrificing, of telling oneself no, of telling your children no, it forces all these wonderful conversations between you and the Lord, you and your children, and it gives them skill sets, those children, so that as they go, Proverbs 22, 6 becomes true, raise up a child in the way they should go. They actually leave. And they don't come back asking for more money. Isn't that awesome? Yes! Build margin. It is a great thing. But you'll have to fight for it. You'll probably have to sacrifice for it. The third thing that I wanted to share with you is to trust the provider, not the provision. Trust the provider, not the provision. One of the names of the Lord is Jireh, the one who provides, provider. And let's go back to that verse in Ecclesiastes 7, 12. It says, wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have it. What is that saying? It's saying that money is good, it's a shelter, but the greater thing is wisdom. And I would encourage you that wisdom comes from the Lord and that it is a shelter. And the wisdom I would tell you today, the greatest wisdom you could take today is that our provider is trustworthy. You can trust the Lord. Now, this provision, it just can't be trustworthy. Jesus shared about it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Has anybody ever had stuff stolen from you? Isn't that frustrating? I mean, ugh. I just had some trail cameras stole off my farm. And what they don't know is it's a cell phone camera and it took their picture and sent it to me. I mean, it's just so dumb. I know who they are. So I took their picture and printed it out, put it in a Ziploc bag, and put it there with a broken trail camera. And so they can steal it again while they see their picture. And I told them it would be great if they would return the stuff they borrowed. I'm giving them grace, okay? That's awesome. But I hope they steal my broken trail camera. That'd be awesome. But here's what I know. Thieves will break in and steal. But it says, verse 20, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And say this last part with me, will you? For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. You know, Jenny and I were able to pursue our calling in the ministry because we knew he was trustworthy. The Lord is trustworthy. 
We didn't know how he would provide. We just knew that his past performance was indicative of his future performance. I don't know if you've heard these statements after you see an advertisement for an investing firm where they say past performance is not indicative of future performance, may lose money. Have you ever heard that? Like, they basically go on for 29 seconds of a 30-second commercial about how great they are, choose them, use us, and the last second, they say in 5,000 words a second, past performance is not indicative of future performance, may lose money, we'll probably lose all your money. <laughs> but can I just tell you that God's past performance is his best indicator of future performance, and friends, you can take that to the bank. You can put that in your pocket and carry it with you. And so we knew, we didn't know how he'd provide, we just knew he would. So he took the step of faith, fired ourselves from that corporate job, and said, Lord, whatever you've called us to do, we're going to do that. I had no idea that God was positioning us to go into this ministry, to start this thing, to be able to start five businesses and buy four others. I had no idea that God would do that. All I knew is I was just taking a step of faith knowing that he would be present help every step of the way. And so in Matthew 6, 30, uh, 6, 24, three verses later, Jesus finalizes his statement when he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says a statement that is as true today as the day that he stated it 2,000 years ago. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, an opposite day, if they're having an opposite day, you know about opposite day in school? An opposite day, the opposite of up is what? Down. The opposite of open is what? Close. The opposite of God is what? Could it be Satan? Sorry, Aunt live reference. Hey, on opposite day, the opposite of God is Satan, right? Isn't it weird that Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money? Because he knew it would be one of the greatest enticers that it connects to our hearts. So my lesson today that I want to share with each of you is to choose wisely. Left unchecked, the pursuit of money will lead to a love of money. Which we know is a root of all sorts of evil. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I've seen it put people in a relentless pursuit of more, more, more. I've seen it train wreck relationships. Have you? I've seen it destroy people's health. I've seen it drive people to ruin. And so I would encourage you as we wrap this up with two key questions that we should all ask. And question number one is, can I trust God? Can I trust him? We continue Jesus's uh, statements in chapter 6 of Matthew verses 25 through 34 he talks to us about this he says therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you eat or drink or about your body what you wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life is this speaking to anybody? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall, we, what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love the promise in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Can we trust God? Because of what God's done in my life, I can say he's trustworthy. Do I have any witnesses in the house today? In fact, I grew up singing this song. Um, maybe some of you know it, I, and you'll know why they didn't invite me to worship, right? Lead worship, at least. This said, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Have you ever sang this song? Anybody. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. It's a Pentecostal song. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never. That, that's a great song. Look it on YouTube. It'll be way better than what I just sang it, especially with a Hammond B3 organ behind it, right? But here's what I would tell you. That is a theme song of my life. Hey, listen, if he took it all away from me tomorrow, Jesus is enough for me. I get fired up about it. You know why? Because I just went through a test. You remember 2020? Well, my businesses went to sleep. Some of them in a long-term coma. Some of them came close to dying. We lost more than a million bucks. I never once lost sleep over it. I never once lost stress over it. Partially because we live what we preach. We had margin. But also because I know that he could take it all away and give it back later. But Jesus is enough for me. I've been able to pass the test, and I'm so fired up about it. And you know what happens when you pass the test? He gives you a testimony, and you can't stop telling other people about it. Because, listen, my life is not built on what God has given me. God, my life is built on the solid rock, my Jehovah Jireh, how about you? And he is trustworthy. I can trust him. But the second question as we wrap it up is this. Can God trust me? Can he trust me? Listen, the questions are, do I manage well that which is entrusted to my care? Do I manage it well? Am I a good steward of the financial resources he's provided? Hey, here's the question I ask myself. Before making any major financial decision, do I pray for God's guidance? Do I seek his wise, holy, and godly counsel? Can I press in a little bit? My name is Joe. I want to be your friend. You ready? Do I return the first fruits to him of everything he's given me? It's called the tithe in Malachi, as it said in the, in the Sanders. <laughs> hey, listen, when I was broke, I could not tithe consistently because I had pledged it all away to a car company, to a truck company, to the mortgage company. I should have had a bumper sticker on my car saying I'm driving God's tithe because that's what I was doing. And the moment came where I said, you know what? I'm sick of living it my way. I'm broke anyhow. I'm going to do something. It may have been called angry tithing, where I was enough where it says, put the Lord to the test. I'm like, I'll test you right now, Lord. And so I, I, I jumped in. Hey, start somewhere. But I jumped in the deep end of the pool, and I said, I'm, right, I'm giving 10% off the gross. And I, let me tell you, from that moment on, over 20 years ago, I've never ceased to give God the first fruits. It's been a miracle of what he's done 
in my life. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the last verse I'll share today, says, remember this, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about giving. He says, whoever sows sparingly, he's comparing giving to investing. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Can I ask you a question? Homiletics would make me ask the question, what happens if I sow nothing? What will I reap? No thing. So let me ask you a question. At your current rate of financial investment, what can you expect to reap? And let me press in further. For what you're investing in God's kingdom work, what type of spiritual harvest can you expect to reap? Of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And so Jenny and I, we decided to put God first. And I had what I call a greedy prayer. I know no one here has ever prayed one. But my prayer was, Lord, I I would love to tithe $10,000 in a year. Doesn't that sound like a noble prayer? But it was a greedy prayer because if I tithe $10,000, what does that mean I get to earn? Yeah, six figures, baby. And God spoke to me in that moment, I'm not kidding, and said, Joe, you can give $10,000 without making $100,000. And I was like, no, 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 that, that's not how this works. But I felt the Lord challenge me in that moment to say, hey, will you trust me now, hey, without that income? And me and my bride, I, I chose to test him. I've never looked back. I've seen God work miracles in my life. He can do the same for you. My challenge to you today is will you trust the provider? He is trustworthy. And the question, what in my life may not be trustworthy in this area of finances? Hey, when you get those worked out with the Lord's blessing upon it, you'll be able to live a life that everyone who sees it will say that person is thriving. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for this great church. God, I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. Jesus, I thank you that your words were stated and that somebody grabbed a pen and put it to parchment. Lord, that we could reflect on your words today. Jesus, we thank you that you died and you you paid a price that we could never pay. And you paid a debt that we could never repay. And Lord, that you give us that free gift of salvation that if anyone would call upon your name, And believe in the heart that you've been raised from the dead that we will experience your free gift of salvation. Lord, may we experience lives that are thriving. Lord, in our soul, in our mind, in our health, and in our finances. Lord, it is not for us, but it's for us to accomplish your will in our life. And Lord, when you work the miracle, may we be careful to give you all the credit, all the glory, and all the praise. It is from you, it is for you, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen.